Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. So I know it's been a long hiatus, much longer than I expected. As I mentioned in the last episode, I had a double hip replacement. I won't bore you with too many details, but I'll just share a few bits about the journey if you don't mind indulging me. If not, feel free to skip forward about 30 seconds right to the parenting stuff. So on the day of surgery, I was out from about 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And as soon as I woke up in recovery, I was able to pull my legs up, bending at my knees and my hips. So that was pretty cool. I also didn't have to be intubated. I'm really difficult to intubate because I have such a small mouth and passage. My last surgery, it took the anesthesiologist two hours to intubate me. Now, he was probably not the best anesthesiologist on the planet, and the surgeon was so mad, he almost called off the surgery. I found this all out afterwards. I woke up with a horribly bruised and raw esophagus. It was terrible. So with this surgery, it was terrible. And actually, it made me extremely anxious about this surgery because when I found all of this out after the fact, I felt like I was completely knocked out and I had no decision-making skills. And they had to decide how they were going to do this and what they were going to do with me. And it just left me feeling extremely anxious. So with this surgery, it was a treat to wake up with no sore throat, no NG tube, nothing, and being able and encouraged to eat right away. They had me standing up that very night. I was able to swing my legs off the bed and back on all by myself, which I guess is pretty uncommon. I had to use a walker and couldn't stand up straight due to all the swelling in the hip joints. I felt pretty pathetic, but they got me up and walking the next day and doing stairs the following day, so then I was released to go home. The progress was pretty quick from there, but it still felt really slow to me. I got myself up to our second floor two days after getting home because it was the weekend and I needed some peace and quiet from my crazy kids to sleep when I needed. Two days later, I could get myself down the stairs and back up, but the efforts left me very exhausted. 
I still have some swelling. I've had two weeks of physical therapy and I still have four to go. So my energy has come back enough that I can get through the day, take care of my kids and all of my normal duties without feeling too spent by the end of the day, as well as slowly getting back to work duty. So I'm getting there. And I always tend to overestimate myself while others underestimate me. So at least I surprise everyone else. My progress seems to annoy and frustrate only me. So while I was on hiatus, I got several questions from parents. So I thought it would be a good idea to catch up on some of these. I have a question about how to motivate kids to do things for themselves and another on helping kids with what mom is describing as atypical social behavior. I also have several other questions that came in, but I'll have to get to those in another episode because I won't have time to get to them. So first, Tara asks, I'm really learning a lot from taking your classes, but I do have a question. My son, who just turned five, doesn't want to do anything by himself. Well, I shouldn't say anything. He gets his own snacks. He can pour himself a glass of milk, put on his shoes when he wants Some areas we're struggling with is putting on his own seatbelt. I know he can do it, but he just refuses to. Learning to tie his shoes, he can't do it yet, but he won't even attempt it. I have him watch me and ask if he would like to try part of it himself, and I'll be there to help him if he needs me, but he refuses. Also, riding his bike. He will go on his bike for about one minute and just be done telling me. He already knows how to ride and doesn't need to learn anymore. We have decided not to let him use his power wheels until he rides his bike, not as a punishment, but saying that we ordered a part and it needs to be fixed. I don't know if it's a confidence thing or just not wanting to do it. I don't compare him to other kids, and I really try to encourage him without being too pushy. I don't want to push too much or he might never want to do any of these things. Do you have any ideas or tips to try to get him to do some of these things? So Tara, this is a great question. Some kids are definitely more internally motivated than others and need some extra coaching to get them to do things on their own. My oldest and my daughter are very self-motivated. My daughter with everything. My older son with everything, but helping around the house, of course. But my twin son, not so much. I remember my daughter had been dressing herself for probably close to nine months. It didn't usually match, but hey, the girl would get up, grab her clothes, and and get herself dressed. Her twin brother, on the other hand, was happy to let me dress him as long as I would oblige him. I kind of kept waiting for him to take some initiative, but it just wasn't coming. At around three and a half, maybe a little closer to four, I knew he was more than physically capable, so I had to finally tell him that I wasn't going to dress him anymore. I would pick out his clothes and leave them out, but that he had to put them on himself, so he started doing it. He's six now, and he's still the kid that on weekends will come down without getting dressed and stay in his pajamas all day if you would let him. So the rule for us is no breakfast until you get dressed. So to address your specific issues, first and in general, anytime he does anything by himself, remember to use positive reinforcement, and especially when he does those things that he's currently struggling with. You got your own snack. That's very independent. When it's something you're particularly working on, like the seatbelt, gush a little without going overboard. You put on your seatbelt all by yourself. That is so helpful. From the classes or the other episodes, you'll remember that this lets your kids know what you like to see and what traits are important to you. So the independence is important to you. Being helpful is important to you. And they start to see this and then want to take those traits on. So they are more inclined to do things that fulfill those traits. So I'm going to talk in general about what's important to push 
and what isn't. This is completely personal for each parent. So it's up for you to decide how important is it for you that he puts on his own seatbelt, ties his own shoes, or rides his bike right now? Which of these, if any, do you want to take on? So first, let's cover the seatbelt. For me personally, this is one I would like to take on, but you may not want to once you think about it. Because as you mentioned, he's perfectly capable. So if you decide that it is, it's good to have a logical consequence. For me, it would be the car doesn't move until the seatbelt is on. But you have to decide, are you willing to out-stubborn your child? I always was. I'm a very persistent person. My husband calls me stubborn, but it's a good trait when dealing with kids. I also know it only takes a few times. Now, my daughter follows in my footsteps and has tried to outlast me. A few times, we were all sitting there, all four of us, me and the three kids, the other two getting frustrated with her, and I was like, oh boy, how long are we going to have to be here? This was in my head. I wasn't saying it out loud. But soon, she would put on her seatbelt begrudgingly. If you don't want to do this every time or you aren't prepared to hold your ground say, during times when you need to get to school, you can start doing it just on times when you're going somewhere fun, like the park or a birthday party. Just simply say, I can't drive until you have your seatbelt on. It's the law. I would get arrested and you could get hurt in an accident. So please put your seatbelt on now. I'll just wait. Then I'd pull out my phone and start doing whatever, like I had all the time in the world. Inside, I was like, hurry up. I have things to do. But I never let it show. Soon, the offending child would let out a big sigh and just put on the seatbelt. So again, you can do this for all situations every single time you're in the car if you're willing to out-persist your child on this or like I said, start with just the times when you're going somewhere fun, get that down. Then you can start working on the other times like getting to school or running errands. Okay, shoe tying. This is one that I personally would not fight at this age. My thought process is that my kids won't go off to college not knowing how to tie their shoes, and I'd rather show them later when they have more dexterity and can pick it up in one or two lessons. Now, my eight-year-old is just now able to tie his shoes. It was just never a priority for me. But if you want him to learn now, and lots of five-year-olds do and can tie their own shoes, and some kindergarten teachers actually require it, then you'll want to do something similar to like I shared about the seatbelt. We can't go to the park until you at least try to tie your shoes or try the first step and I'll do the rest. You could do something like that. So you would start this on the fun outings, things that he really wants to go do. And then again, just like the seatbelt, you would then start working on every outing. Now for the bike riding, I'm not sure what you mean by power wheels. I'm guessing it's one of those powered vehicles. So I can't quite speak to that, but If it's a part for the bike that makes it work with a motor, I would strongly encourage not using it ever because once he gets used to that, he'll never want to go without it. But if it's just one of those electronic toys that they like ride on toys or, you know, cars or motorcycles, then that's a different story. I wouldn't withhold it just because he's not riding his bike right now, but I would use the tools I'm going to give you now. So here's what I would do instead. As far as the bike riding, if you want to make this a part of the family lifestyle or his play, it's going to be important for him to have some modeling. If he sees kids around the neighborhood riding around and then he sees or feels like he's missing out, then that's motivation. If you go on family rides, that will model it for him as well. In this case, you may want to get a trail a bike or you can make a weekly date for family rides, Friday evening, Sunday afternoon, whatever works for your family. Start out very short, like a one mile ride and slowly increase it. When he sees other kids riding or that is part of the family dynamic, 
that's what's going to motivate him to want to get on his bike. Otherwise, there's really not a lot you can do to make him want to ride his bike. Now, if you haven't watched the class on temperament, I highly recommend it. And you'll see where he falls in different traits of temperament and how and where to support him, where and how to encourage and expand his experience where he might otherwise get stuck. Now, of course, that's on the website, which you already know, Tara, but for anyone else, yourvillageonline.com, and it's under the development and health section. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads. Love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. The next question is from Jen. I have a five and a half year old daughter and an almost four year old daughter. I'm writing to you because we're at a loss on what to do with my older daughter. She has been in a preschool program for three years, three hours per day. This year, she goes five days per week. She is starting kindergarten next year. She's quite advanced academically. She's reading at a second grade level and is very interested in math and science. Her teacher has recommended skipping a grade. However, her teacher has also recommended that we revisit our pediatrician to discuss her atypical social behavioral development. 
We went to a behavioral health screening last year for her and went to one of the group floor sessions. I didn't like this program because it was three hours from 8 to 11. They gave the children chocolate and then said, what concerns are you having? She was great today. So we didn't bring her back. They had mentioned there was a possibility of her being on the ASD spectrum at the initial screening, but that it was too early to make a diagnosis after one visit. We've been trying to listen to your program and incorporate strategies for discipline and consequences with her. However, her behavior has fallen off the cliff throughout the past month. After talking with her teacher, we have contacted a behavioral health center to be put on the waiting list for a possible autism diagnosis. However, in the meantime, I'm not sure how to proceed with handling her behavior. Do we continue to rationalize with her when it's not working? Consequences don't seem to matter to her. We're actually wondering if she's acting out on purpose in some situations that bore her, like in children's church. She runs away from the teachers, refuses to obey their directions, and acts silly, uncontrollably, making silly noises, faces, laughing, and distracting those around her. She cries when she's faced with us being mad at her, but otherwise shows little remorse regard for the consequences we instill, which pertain to the act that she has done. Her behavior is on a downhill slide. I am uncertain whether or not she's on the ASD spectrum, but her behavior is very much unlike other kids her age in that she is not concerned with peer relations. She gets lots of attention from other kids, probably from being the ringleader of the silly noises in school but seems to not even notice when they say hi or want to give her a hug. She refers to herself in the third person as a cat. The kitty wants a snack. She constantly sticks her hands in her mouth, particularly after putting them in her nose. She is very scheduled and melts down if there is a sudden change or she cannot finish a task. She had a meltdown at the dentist's office two days ago because the appointment was canceled, and at church today because she wasn't allowed back in children's church after she was being silly and ran away from the teacher. She takes piano lessons and is very good for her age. She can make eye contact, but doesn't usually hold it for very long. She is affectionate, but does not like loud noises, balloons, automatic flushing toilets. She was slightly delayed in holding a pencil, but has made great strides this year. And she is pretty clumsy. Do you have any advice for working with children who don't react typically? As I said, we're on the waiting list for a possible diagnosis, so we may get some advice in the coming months, but we don't know what else to do while we wait. So Jen, I will do my best to give some advice based upon the information I have. But first and foremost, like you've already done, is going to be to get the assessment and see if she is on the spectrum or has any other diagnosis that would need to be dealt with specifically with tools that are known to work well with people with a diagnosis. And I also want to say that I do not have any expertise in working with kids on the spectrum, so I don't want to speak to that at all. Again, currently she has no diagnosis, so I also wouldn't want to move forward assuming that she will get any kind of positive diagnosis. So I'll offer what I can while you're kind of in this limbo. First, I just want to say that if she does turn out to get a diagnosis for ASD, I'm not sure how you're feeling about that. But I will say she's obviously highly functional and will excel with the proper support and guidance, which I can tell you are prepared to offer. She will have lots of opportunity to thrive in life. So you may find it a relief to have answers and have guidance to help her with her behavior. And she will learn how to interact with others on a more of a scientific or intellectual basis. If she does have this diagnosis, they will work with her on this. So it'll be things like when X, do Y. So when someone does this, you do that. So rather than reacting from an emotional basis, she'll react from a scientific formula type basis, and that's just fine. 
Now, if she doesn't get an ASD diagnosis, you can still work with a behaviorist or coach to make a plan because I think this is going to take more one-on-one work and planning and each time seeing how things are working, what's working and what isn't. But let's wait till she gets the diagnosis or not, has the assessment um, before you guys figure out how to move forward in that. So again, I'm reticent to make too many suggestions because of the uncertainty at this point. Because the way one works with a child with ASD is very different. They need a particular way of learning to understand the social world and interacting with others. It seems that the consequence of not being allowed back into children's church, though, did affect her. And when something like that happens, it is an opportunity to teach her that her behavior has an effect on other people and will have consequences so you can coach her. Same thing as when it upsets you. You could say to her something like, when you act silly and distract the other kids, you will not be allowed to stay in children's church. So you'll need to make a different choice next time if you want to stay. And you can talk about how her behavior affects the other children around her. Your behavior is distracting. The other kids aren't able to learn or to play the way that they would like to. And just give her some coaching and help her understand the way she behaves affects others and then what some consequences are to that behavior. Now, whether ASD or not, also she's highly rhythmic in her scheduling and doesn't like surprises. At least that's what I'm getting from you. So if I'm wrong, then disregard this, but this is what it sounds like. So here are some tips for working on that. And these tips are from the class on temperament that's on the website at yourvillageonline.com under the development health section again. So this is one of the traits, and it's called rhythmicity. It's the predictability of daily patterns in sleeping, eating, and eliminating. A child who is highly rhythmic is likely to get cranky if he or she does not eat and sleep at the same time every day, can get upset when the day doesn't go as usual or as planned, and may have a favorite toy, cup, lovey, blanket, you name it. Now, in the class, the tips are divided into four sections, family and friends, learning and school, activities and leisure, and guidance and discipline. So for family and friends, you want to tell caregivers about her routine, the times that she naps, eats, and snacks. You want to keep family routines consistent and on schedule, such as bedtimes and mealtimes, and warn ahead of time if they're going to change. Encourage friendships with other children who have routines. Now, for learning in school, you want to tell teachers about her routines. Let the teacher know when your home routine has been upset that she may be more cranky that day. Choose a more structured childcare program where general schedules are followed. And as much as possible, maintain the same routines and schedules at home as they have at school, including naps and mealtimes. For activities and leisure, provide structured activities such as board games, but also encourage games such as charades, imaginative play, and open-ended art. Allow for some unplanned time each day, just a little at first, whatever she can handle, 15 to 20 minutes to start getting her used to the idea of working with unplanned time. Then you can expand it as she is ready. Recognize that her favorites may seem very important and try to allow a system for that to be a part of the routine. Things like a special cup or plate, a lovey or a blanket. Work to understand how important those may be to her and to make allowances for that. For guidance and discipline, prepare her 
ahead of time if there will be changes in the schedule or routine. Stay aware of the bathroom routine, especially if you're heading out. Bring snacks along if her meal routine may be disturbed. And take familiar objects on trips, such as pillows, favorite bubble bath, lovey, and maintain her schedule and routine as much as possible. And then one last thing I'd like to add is one-on-one play dates. One-on-one play dates will give exposure to play and social skills without being overwhelmed by so many playmates like she has at school. So you want to sit very nearby, try not to intervene too much and see if things will be worked out among the two playmates if there's any kind of disagreement. But also you want to give praise for positive social skills. When she cooperates and agrees to compromise on play, such as she wants to play horses and the friend wants to play dolls, and then they play dolls with the horses, or even if she agrees to do something that her friend prefers, when she shares, all of these types of things, give praise. You let your friend choose which horse she wanted to play with first. That was very kind. And then just in general, if she sits and engages in the play quietly and cooperatively, give praise for that as well. If you can have at least two of these play dates a week and work in depth on those social skills, it will go a long way. So Jen, I hope that these tips will help and you can get in and start working on these and see what will work and help smooth some things out in the meantime. I hope you're able to get this assessment done fairly soon so that you guys can be on your way to getting the help that she needs to work on these social skills and behavior issues as soon as possible. So for Jenna and Tara, if you'd like some more in-depth answers or something I said sparked another question, and for anyone else who has a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.